Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, April 13th, 2023. It's been 3,333 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 414 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we believe a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 13th and April 22nd remains possible. Second, the Russian VKS and naval forces are experiencing a critical shortage of precision munitions, with the Russian Air Force relying on GLONASS-guided glide bombs to attack border regions of Ukraine. Third, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat-ineffective, and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fourth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Fifth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs. Sixth, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. And finally, Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension. One year ago yesterday, on April 12, 2022, the operational pause after the Russian defeat at Kyiv continued. Mariupol entered its 42nd day surrounded, with heavy fighting continuing in the city. Russian forces took control of the southern part of the main port. Chechen forces retreated out of Rubizhne and took up defensive positions in the city's northeast corner. Russian forces blanketed the city of Kharkiv with hundreds of anti-personnel mines, which landed in populated civilian areas. Russian President Vladimir Putin declared peace talks with Ukraine, hosted by Turkey, had reached a, quote, dead end. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, arrested pro-Russian politician Viktor Medvedchuk, who had fled from house arrest on February 28th. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, 
claimed there was continued fighting among squad or platoon-sized units in the area of Sinkivka. Russian forces shelled residential areas of Dvorichna on the west bank of the Oskil River, killing two pensioners and wounding a third. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD made a similar claim of limited fighting in the area of Kislivka. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Operational Command East, or OKE, Colonel Serhii Cherevati, reported there was minimal fighting in the Luhansk region, with Russian forces firing 414 artillery rounds, mortars, and rockets from Berestova to Bilohorivka, and Russian aviation carrying out eight airstrikes. The only activity reported in the Svatova and Kremina operational areas was in the Serebriansky woods, with positional fighting continuing and Russian and Ukrainian forces trading control of defensive positions near the power lines. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported continued fighting in the area of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. In northeast Donetsk, let's start with a quick errors and omissions. So yesterday there was an editing artifact reporting fighting in the area of Sakui Venceti. That was information from the previous episode. It, it did not happen twice. Thank you for your understanding. In the Siversk operational area, fighting continued south of Spirne, with Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reporting Ukrainian forces made marginal gains. We can't confirm the claim's veracity, so there were no changes to the war map. Wargonzo reported a, quote, attempted attack by Russian airborne or VDV forces on Vesele from Yakovlivka, which was unsuccessful. There remains significant fog of war around the situation in the Bakhmut operational area. Deep State walked back some of its claims from April 11th on the situation along the railroad tracks at the city center. Colonel Cherevati of OKE reported 22 clashes in Bakhmut, with 225 grad rockets fired into the city and five airstrikes by the Russian VKS. PMC Wagner telegram channel Grey Zone reported Ukraine still controls 30% of Bakhmut and shared a video of Ukrainian forces still in the high-rise areas of the city. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported 45 clashes theater-wide, a 62% decrease from a month ago. Northwest of Bakhmut, Russian VDV units launched intense attacks on Bogdanivka and Romova in an attempt to sever the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. Fighting was desperate at times, with Ukrainian forces holding defensive lines. In the northern part of Bakhmut, no updates from any source existed on the areas around School 24 and Rose Alley. Due to the absence of information, in our assessment, Ukraine still holds control of these areas. Deep State clarified that Ukrainian forces still control the grain elevators west of the railroad tracks near Railroad Station 2, with Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar making the same claim. We do not know the status of the state police station. In Bakhmut Center, Deep State also reversed its April 11th claim that Railroad Station 1 had been captured. Multiple Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting, with varying reports on territorial control ranging from PMC Wagner holding partial control of the station to the most concentrated fighting being 200 meters away at the western tip of Verkhny Park. 
A video showed a Marine with the Ukrainian 35th Naval Infantry Brigade missing certain death by a couple of centimeters when a sniper's bullet struck the wall just above his helmet. The Russian MOD made a generic claim stating that PMC Wagner had captured three city blocks without stating what part of the city. A quick sidebar here. A year ago, we reported fighting between multiple battalions for control of an entire city or town in a single day. Now we're providing details on fighting between platoons measured in city blocks. We haven't seen firm confirmation that Avangard Stadium is under Russian control. More reliable sources in the Russian information space reported little to no progress in the area or north of Korsunskoho Street. We move the line of conflict through the stadium and, in our assessment, believe control is contested, with PMC Wagner making steady progress in this direction. Multiple reports from individual soldiers with Ukraine and Russia and mercenaries from PMC Wagner reported heavy fighting north of Ivanivske. Oddly enough, however, neither the GSAFU, the Russian MOD, nor PMC Wagner made any official claims of clashes in the area. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, the operational tempo continues to slow. A Ukrainian source reported that Russian forces were attempting to reach the train tracks west of the H-20 highway near Novobakhmutivka, but were unsuccessful. Russian forces continued attacks with ground troops with insufficient armor support on Avdiivka from the direction of Opitne, and could not recapture the positions they had recently lost. Ukrainian sources reported fighting north of Vodyana, while Rybar reported fighting in the direction of Sieverne. They are likely referring to the no-man's land a thousand meters north of Vodyana, where Russian forces have lost dozens of armored vehicles and hundreds of troops since February. Positional fighting in the eastern part of Pervomaiske continued, and Russian forces continued their attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske. In the Marinka operational area, Fighting for control of what was Druzhby Avenue in Marinka continued. Russian forces continued their attempts to regain the positions they abandoned east of Povida. In the Vuhledar operational area, the Russian Vostok group woke up and decided it would be a great use of dwindling military resources to attack Novomikhailivka. After nine years of fruitless attacks, this was going to be the day. Today was going to be different. No, it wasn't, though. It really wasn't. On April 11th, we shared a video of Ukrainian troops being shelled by Russian forces. Yesterday, the Russian MOD provided this description of the event. Quote, In the areas of the settlements of Pavlovka and Novoselka of the Donetsk People's Republic, the activities of two enemy sabotage and reconnaissance groups were stopped. During the day... Up to 180 Ukrainian servicemen, 11 vehicles, as well as a D-30 howitzer were destroyed in these areas. End quote. We suggest watching the video, which we do link to again in our full situation report on Patreon. In a nutshell, though, if there are 180 soldiers, 11 vehicles, and a D-30 howitzer anywhere in that video, they've gotten very good at camouflage. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. 
Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at News. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported there were 10 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including one frigate and one kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to 12 caliber cruise missiles in total. Just hours after Gauleiter Mikhail Razvozhayev, the illegitimate mayor of Sevastopol, denied reports that May Day celebrations had been cancelled in Crimea, Sergei Aksyonov reiterated that May Day celebrations, including the parade in Sevastopol, are, in fact, cancelled. The back and forth is confusing, guys. Just pick something and stick with it. In a move that should shock no one, the Russian MOD will prohibit swimming at multiple beaches in Crimea where defensive structures such as trenches, portable concrete bunkers, and dragon's teeth have been placed. Legally, warning signs need to be erected first, because this whole thing wasn't just an enormous red flag. The list of prohibited beaches includes nine public access areas and a children's camp. The illegitimate governor of occupied Crimea, Yuri Gotsenyuk, said that bottlenecks to cross the Crimea Bridge to Russia would be solved by May 1st by adding additional lanes at security checkpoints, quote, as well as inspection equipment, end quote. It's worth noting that similar promises to unclog bottlenecks have been made since October in the Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republics and have not come to fruition. On the Russian front, on the border of Ukraine, local officials claim a kamikaze drone flew into the area of a pig farm and destroyed a military surveillance camera mounted on a water tower. Later in the day, there are claims the farm was shelled, killing 179 pigs and wounding 150 more. The Russian Federal Customs Service computer systems were disabled for a third day, with Russian officials admitting the cause was a cyber attack. The FCS has told all employees to stop using computers out of fear that the virus will continue to spread, forcing customs workers to use paper forms and fax machines to allow material to start moving again. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmichel met with United States Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and directly requested F-15 Strike Eagle air superiority fighters and F-16 Talons for the Ukrainian Air Force. No comment was made about the request, but Secretary Austin promised to expand the production of military equipment within the United States for Ukraine. Austin also tried to soothe damage from the leak of top-secret documents, saying, quote, Ukrainians will fight the enemy and will not be guided by any specific plan. Ukrainians have many abilities necessary to achieve success. We have prepared a large number of their troops. We provided a significant amount of equipment. I think in Ukraine, they believe that they are in a pretty good position. End quote. The Associated Press claims they have interviewed the person who disseminated over 300 pages of secret and top-secret documents on Discord, which then leaked out to Twitter, 4chan, game servers for Minecraft, and repeatedly on the pages of the Washington Post. The person, an adult identified only by the initials O.G., reportedly works on a United States military base, 
with direct access to a facility that houses top-secret information where cell phones and other electronic devices are prohibited. His private server on Discord, ThugShaker Central, was accessed by a community of 20 to 25 individuals with at least a dozen foreign nationals, including from Russia. The group shared racist and anti-Semitic memes, discussed guns and God, and shared mundane conversations. More information about OG, who reportedly has yet to be interviewed by the military or FBI, is coming to light. He has expressed a deep distrust of the government and anti-government ideology. In a video that was shared with the Associated Press and Washington Post, he makes a racist and anti-Semitic rant before firing a rifle at a target. Incredibly, the work of Bellingcat, which suggested the leak came from a 20-something seeking internet clout, may be true. OG reportedly became frustrated when the posts he shared on the server with the classified information went unread, so he started uploading pictures. Reportedly, over 300 documents are in circulation, with the public only seeing about one-third of what was put on the server. OG's community universally says he did not intend to harm the United States or any other nation, but willfully shared the information and understood its sensitivity. After meeting with United States Vice President Kamala Harris, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki said Ukraine would receive additional deliveries of Abrams' main battle tanks and Bradley infantry fighting vehicles. Okay, so we will provide an analysis of one element of the Pentagon Papers. The documents claim that in February and March, 14 United States Armed Forces members were in Ukraine. It is important to note that United States President Joe Biden visited Kyiv on February 20th, and the Ukrainian embassy has a permanent U.S. Marine detachment, which is standard practice at embassies worldwide. Biden was the first United States president to visit an active war zone that the United States is not actively fighting in, going back at least a century. United States service members frequently are part of presidential security details during foreign visits. So let's all chill. Speaking of not actively fighting, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and Mir. Edward Begirov, a 48-year-old propagandist who supported a full-scale war against Ukraine and has been in Putin's inner circle since 2012, died in a Russian hospital. During the last week, Begirov fell suddenly ill, slipped into a coma, and suffered from multiple organ failure. Under completely ordinary circumstances, I am sure. Russians are unhappy with the new conscription subpoena by app and text message law passed by the state Duma. Deputy Andriy Kartopolov went after critics, saying, quote, I was glad. What a howl arose on all these opposition and semi-opposition resources. I was glad how all this condom riffraff got excited, which means that we hit the bullseye, because it would be very convenient for them if our mobilization deployment system were at the level of the middle of the last century. It will not be. Our mobilization deployment system will be the most advanced in the world. And now, guys, catch up. End quote. Okay, quick sidebar here. The translation for condoms was prophylactic. In Russian slang, Referring to someone as a condom is a rather nasty way of saying someone who is undesirable and that you don't like. Not exactly sure how future conscripts and mobics will feel about being referred to as disposable condoms. Second observation, 
why is everything Russia makes declared the best in the world? Maxar shared a series of satellite images that showed the massive Wagner Cemetery created in a remote area of eastern Russia is almost 50% full. The first graves appeared on November 22, 2022. The State Duma deputy Oleg Nilov called for a war tax on the Russian people to support the special military operation. According to Nilov, individuals should deduct 2 to 3% of their income, saying, quote, Is this an impossible loss? It is clear that the crisscross audience will now attack me again, but I am talking to men. 1,000 to 2,000 rubles a month will solve the most serious problems in the army. End quote. Sidebar. If I may... I have an idea that I think would solve those problems even more effectively and at a lower cost. So hear me out. Go home. It's like really simple, right? Based on CEIC data, the average household income in Russia grew to 7,933 US dollars a month in 2022, roughly 55,000 rubles a month at today's exchange rate. When you strip away the centers of power and wealth in St. Petersburg and Moscow, the number is much lower, and 1 to 2,000 rubles a month would devastate many Russians and reduce their shrinking spending power, further hobbling the Russian economy. Everything is going to plan. In geopolitical news, the dark potato prince of Belarus, the illegitimate president Alexander Lukashenko, has urged that a ceasefire be declared between Russia and Ukraine and peace negotiations begun immediately. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky met with U.S. Senators Joseph Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, Lisa Murkowski, a Republican from Alaska, and Mark Kelly, an astronaut from Arizona. Zelensky briefed the senators on the situation on the front line and shared his assessment of Ukraine's prospects, saying, quote, We discussed further directions of American assistance and the role of Congress in this process. We are fighting for common values, freedom, and democracy. Our victory will be decisive for the development of the situation in Europe and throughout the world. End quote. South African leaders are frustrated by the open arrest warrant for Russian President Putin with the International Criminal Court, or ICC. Putin is supposed to attend a meeting of the BRICS nations in South Africa this summer, but as a signatory of the Rome Statute, South Africa is obligated to arrest the Russian leader. Awkward. It remains unclear if Putin plans to attend in person in the first place, and it is worth noting he opted not to attend the G20 in Indonesia after months of political posturing. In economic news, Dmitry Peskov declared that the Black Sea Grain Initiative is not working for Russia, and there is little chance that Moscow will extend it. Russian State Duma deputies are signing on to a measure that will unblock Twitter in the Russian Federation after actions by owner Elon Musk have been deemed, quote, friendly to the Russian Federation. As a side note, we're reconsidering our relationship with Twitter considering the clear evidence that Ukrainian content is being restricted. We refuse to pay $8 a month for any social media platform. You can find us on Post and Spoutable, and some of the team individually on Mastodon, but full disclosure, we currently have very low activity on those social media platforms. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. 
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.